Gosh. Well, I hope my internet holds up and my audio doesn't get real bad. And you guys just let me know if it does. What? You you totally cut out there. That's a joke. You're joking. Oh. Is it? Is it? I'm just gonna say several words here. Lagging on my end. And just is it? Did Jeff mute himself? What happened? Okay, this is all very funny. I really like this joke that we're doing, but um. Oh, I. (laughs) I No, you guys are legitimately. (laughs) No, I I know Justin's telling the truth. Everybody else is good. Okay. Do you call me farts? It's nice to see you all as we sip here on our coffee together. Uh, I just wanted to give a little bit of a programming update to everybody. Today we're listening to, we thought it'd be really fun to get the four of us together and just do like a decompression on the first third of the run, which we kind of finished at this point. And that was awesome to get to hang out and just kind of bullshit with one another. That was very good. And then we're going to take tomorrow off because Monday we're going to go ahead and put up our final crisis episode that I think is good, but is also a badge of shame because we tried to record it on our perfectly acceptable podcast like a year and a half ago, and we put it up through that, but it ended up taking way longer to discuss that book than I thought. I like to have things kind of concise, like an hour and 15 or so, and that one is just like a giant bloated two-hour, maybe two-and-a-half-hour, I'm not even sure, um, episode. So I'm going to get that up for everybody, and then for the rest of next week, we're going to discuss the two issues that take place as Final Crisis tie-ins, Last Rites, um, that are sort of sandwiched in the middle of Final Crisis. So that is going to be next week. You'll get a giant bloated episode on Monday, and then uh, I'll probably put the next two up Wednesday and Friday. And then moving forward after that, we're going to just be releasing Batman in Quarantine Monday, Wednesday, and Friday instead of Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Frankly, we when we started doing this, comics weren't coming out. Diamond wasn't shipping them because, as the name would imply, it was all during the pandemic. And uh, now comics are coming back out in full force, and they've added new distributors, and things are coming in on different days. So the scheduling has just been a little bit trickier. So we're just going to take a tiny bit of the pressure off and keep this coming out three days a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, instead of Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, which seemed like a good idea at the time. I'm not sure why I was propelled to do Monday through Thursday. Seems like it makes just as much sense to have Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Uh, but that's just where we're at right now, and I really appreciate everybody listening and getting this far in with us, and I hope that you dig today's episode, and I'm very interested to see what everyone thinks about Final Crisis, and yeah, so once again, um, no episode tomorrow, Monday will be Final Crisis, and then Wednesday and Friday will be the two Batman tie-in issues, Last Rites, and then after that, We'll be picking right up with the whole, the second chapter, the second arc, if you will, with uh, Batman and Robin, Morrison and Quietly. And you'll just have to listen to me try and not talk about Frank Quietly all the time. Uh, Again, thanks for listening. We'll see y'all soon. Welcome to Batman in Quarantine, episode 24. This is just the one where we talk about our feelings. Um, And always, I am Jeff. I'm Justin. I'm Django, and my back has feelings about hurting. What? Wrong podcast, bro. (laughs) I'm, I'm, I'm Roman, and yeah, hurt joke. Oh, oh, doctor! Django, wow. is that what you were going for? No, I was oh. just there going for an old man joke. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, oh, I thought he was going for that. Okay, pain in my body. Gentle boys, um, if we 
if this were a road trip, if this were a sort of cross-country journey, this would be our first be rest dubing. stop. Mm-hmm. We'd be dubing? Yeah. <laughs> Do you guys see how sunken my eyes look as well today? Ugh. Speaking of dubing, dubing. I guess. Um, <laughs> first rest stop, I want some, some old-fashioned glazed donuts. Old-fashioned glazed donuts? Let's get some combos. I think that they're doing, uh, I think that there is some sort of group accepting donations for small cups of coffee. I think yeah, we could it's probably. Seroptimists. It's the Seroptimists. Um, this is just, this is just uh, a couple of buddies getting a little uh, stretch the legs out in the, in the midst of this Batman in quarantine thing that we're doing. Uh, how we're is We're going everyone? to Subway. We're going, listen, I don't care what you guys want. We're going to Subway. There's I need a, a subway freaking spicy Italian. I don't know. It depends on what the sub of the day is. Oh, I can't talk about, I can't fucking talk about comics unless I have my spicy Italian. Yeah. I'm just going to save that dollar and settle on whatever the sub of the day is. Extra mayo, please. (laughs) This is that good, good um, content. I don't have a ton of structure for this outside of a couple cool quotes I found and questions for you guys. But um, Django, since, since it's been a minute since we've seen you, you know, you've been doing the journey with everybody. How you feeling? Where are you at? Uh, I've, I've enjoyed the last handful of issues. Um, I feel like the Batman RIP moves at a pace that is not my favorite Grant Morrison pace. Ooh, unpack and, that. Ooh, I think, I think that, that salsa. A He's lot of it. In the spicy yeah. Italian. Oh, wow. Is that a little extra hot sauce on the salsa? Oh, That's uncool. What? A lot of it happens uh, between panels, um, and and I, I'm not a fan of that type of storytelling. I I could follow it a little bit easier in the early issues because it was more grounded things, and there's a lot of kind of ooky headbrain stuff happening to Batman between panels. Um, and I kept up with it a lot better on this read than I have in past reads, just because I have a better idea of the whole structure of the thing. Just like even even down to the what is like a six month jump at the end of the final issue, and there's a shot of Talia telling her um, telling her henchman to shoot up the man bat serum right next to Jim Gordon, and then next thing she you know, they're a at fuck. a place like yeah, I mean she. She's <laughs> like, "What are you gonna do, Kamish? You know how many fucking police have tried to like stop. Her family. She doesn't. Oh, I, I love her quote from the previous issue, which was, "I, I, I don't feel like I need to punish you like I, you know, like all other police officers deserve, or whatever." Right. It, it's just like it's a lot of smash cuts, like set up and then payoff with nothing in between. And I it, would say there are there are a good handful of like jumping spots. I'm curious, like, yeah, like I guess smash cuts you could say, or like not seeing a thing that is then referenced. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious, Roman and Justin, like, how do you guys feel about that? As we've been talking about this run and the things going on, like that is a thing that we will, we will say occasionally is that like, oh, this is a reference to this thing that we didn't see. But I don't feel like it's ever come across as like super confusing um, I, in our discussions of it and but that it has come up in previous discussions about grant morrison especially on our other podcast i'm curious what is your experience with that phenomenon in this run um that's i can see how that's definitely a problem because like i think we've all said that we're following this and understanding it more doing this podcast than we ever have before i definitely am because i know when i first read this as monthly issues there was plenty of times i was like fuck i don't know what's going on you know (laughs) It's cool, I think. I have no idea. But yeah, that you kind of have to be, I almost feel like you kind of have to have some training in how to read Morrison to really, really dive into this run and, and really get it all. What, what, let's talk about training for Morrison. What, 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 would, what would be like the, is that just like reading a lot of Morris or what skills I think do you think I, I don't, have I don't to know. I don't, I don't even know exactly. I, I think uh, reading a lot of Morrison, doing some totally kind of discussion, ongoing discussion project like this with your buddies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It takes what four of say? us to read this successfully. <laughs> I said like read poetry is something where like it forces you to have to interpret something on your own and make the meaning yours and not worry about like what the author's saying or what it might mean objectively, like force yourself to be like, okay, well, 
I'm going to entertain nine different possibilities and they're all going to be as true as another. Yeah. Uh, that's a, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Rereading this, I, I keep on thinking about, yeah, I definitely can understand why so why you know, a lot of people jumped off Batman during this run. Cause they're like, <laughs> I don't know what the fuck's happening. I mean, did I miss an issue? Who knows? I cool give up scenes, bro. Yeah. Yeah. No. yeah. <laughs> when like you're reading a text and you don't notice like words are misspelled until you like slow down or reread it. You know, like there's that phenomenon where your mind kind of edits and sees the right words. I feel like I had that until Django pointed out the like Morrison smash cut thing. Like I never realized <laughs> he made cognitive leaps at all until like hearing Django say that that was like a deal breaker for him and me not believing it was true. And then me reading it in his green or in his green lantern run, his current, going green, green lantern run, run i think it's pretty replete with those mm-hmm. yeah so i just never mm-hmm. noticed those kind of smash cuts until after the fact and in this run i don't really know what you guys are talking maybe that's because i'm just kind of a walking walking contradiction smash cut like i make a lot of <laughs> cognitive leaps in my head that i don't care to explain to other people until i'm at that point or whatever or until they're looking at me like you you're not making any sense yeah, uh, yeah. but yeah I, I guess i don't notice that here very often i i would say that in in my reading of it it, it, this time through i haven't noticed them as like cognitive leaps at all it but i have noticed um you know you know like the scene in the out or the sewers where batman is fighting the the henchman and he gets stabbed with the knife oh yeah 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 and then halfway through the issue hurt mentions that like well he's been you know the the blade had this poison on it which will make him susceptible to the post-hypnotic trigger and that is a thing i've noticed which is like it is it, it shows me it shows that he had the knife and it shows that he got stabbed with it and it shows that he's dealing with healing from it but there was no importance placed on the knife at the time mm-hmm. and then i learned its importance and that's what I've noticed this run is not not necessarily like poor writing, but but almost that instance of like living someone has lived something so well in their own head that they forget to mention certain things because they're like, all right, well, the knife, you know, um, right. and. I think Django and I probably deal that with a lot with just each other and our day-to-day interactions at work, which is like, at times we just forget to assume that like, Oh wait, that person doesn't know my full picture of everything that's happening in my head. So this thing I've just done actually is ambiguous when I mean for it to be totally clear. Um, I wonder, I wonder if that, you know, is in there. Cause even like the man bat situation, you know, that one I thought was like sort of linear, but again, we talk about every issue now. So there's this weird, like all of my baskets, all of my eggs are in my basket before every next issue. Cause I've talked, mm-hmm. I've bounced it off of several people. I wonder if that's a strength of the run. I wonder if, if like, I wonder if needing that is a strength or a weakness, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I think it's, I think ultimately it's a strength cause it, but I can see how, you know, it, it can throw people off and turn them off because and this run, Morrison in general, but this run especially, it's not a casual read. I mean, you really have to be paying attention every panel and keeping everything in mind, and and which ultimately is a strength because it's such a it makes it such a good read. But it is jarring. I'm mean, even doing this that panel Jangle brought up with the um, Talia showing up. I, when I read that yesterday, I was like, "What? Where the fuck did she come from?" And all yeah, her ninjas, yeah. how come they're diplomatic immunity what's happening <laughs> and like they? and she showed up the issue before but it wasn't super understood yeah. but it was just this hilarious like it was the third time talia's just sort of shown up yeah she's and just boom one, she's there on the beach <laughs> one panel of this whole issue and but she's in the issue before it as well yeah but but like why is she at the police scene like it's it's just like all of a sudden this thing happened and we didn't see any of the journey to get there and well i don't know that it's a real complaint for me um because i i do read comics pretty fast and um you know just because he's not spoon feeding you every single character's movement to get to a place that's that's i think that's more of a failing on my part um, it's just that like the last four or five issues, 
kind of stood out to me as more of that. And where I was kind of leading with that is I wonder if RIP was going to be a little bit longer and got truncated by the need to incorporate Final Crisis, which is what happens next, right? Well, we mentioned that just recently on one of the, the RIP episodes, which is like how insane that Final Crisis would have been coming out right after this. Like, can you imagine trying to write the insane bloated mess that Final Crisis is? And I think it's divine and wonderful. Um, <laughs> but trying to do that while also kind of staging the biggest, you know, first act of his Batman run that he's been doing. He did mention, I found the interview, he, he'd wanted Batman, this whole thing to be about 15 issues and end with R.I.P. And then he was just like, but I just kept coming up with ideas. Can you fucking... I can't even I don't I can't even fathom like what the 15 issue thing was going to be, right? Right. Yeah, cuz we're what 20 24 issues in already. We're like a I mean this is episode 24, you know, of this thing. So we're like a yeah. clean third of the way through it. That part to me is 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 nuts. Yeah, the the whole Morrison writing style. And I remember being kind of confused um can, can we spoil something for Final Crisis? I think we can spoil something for Final Crisis. Like Batman basically dies in Final Crisis. And I remember being super confused by the Batman RIP and at the same time reading that Batman was dead. Like all, all of that just kind of mushed together in my brain and, and did not help my understanding when these were coming out monthly. Yeah. I have a note here that just says Batman... <clears throat> and nobody really died in RIP, does that bother anybody or did it create confusion for anybody? And what I've encouraged, uh, Sean Meyer wrote an email in and he had said that RIP was the first thing that he read from this run. Mm -hmm. And he's really appreciated the context of going back through it. I wonder, I just want to hear from more people whose life story is that, that their first thing that they read from this was RIP because <laughs> Batman doesn't die in this. But I think he does. But Batman yeah, does. yeah, that's the thing is he, he does. <clears throat> Justin, can you explain what you mean? Roman's muted. He's probably doing that so we don't get the sonic whistle. Okay. No, I just, I just coughed. Oh. Okay. Um, <laughs> I think that Batman symbolically died. He was defeated. He was killed. His entire like history was uh, unmaimed or undone and sorry let me adjust my chair finding the cape in the water is symbolic of the death of the batman you know batman had to die in order to be reborn um so nightwing grabbing that cape i think that batman's effectively dead and like localized gotham batman's dead and so bruce wayne batman can go face the unknown which is dark side the ultimate evil at the end of all things the cosmic evil the abstract evil the thing that uh waits for us all Django. <laughs> how much time passes between r.i.p and the actual death of batman um, that's a good question um because and let's just for anyone who doesn't know let's talk for a little bit about <clears throat> the difficulty of being batman in quarantine right now there are a wealth of things that happened between Batman 681, what we just read, and Batman and Robin number one, which is sort of the first official next issue. Because there's two issues of Batman that are tie-ins to Final Crisis that take mm -hmm. place two-thirds of the way through Final Crisis. And then there is, there's Batman 701 and 702, which, which 701, a year later, right? Yeah. <clears throat> and it bridges the gap between RIP and Final Crisis. It's like way. it starts six pages from the end of 681. I think it starts with him coming out of the water in the yeah. bay, you know? Yeah. And Looking it recaps. A, yeah, coming out muscly and strong. And it recaps a little bit of Final Crisis. And then I think part two, 702, answers some big questions and alludes to some very significant things, which is why I don't want to talk about both those issues right now before Batman and Robin starts. Um, so there's some difficulty of what will exactly we're talking about but in terms of the amount of time that passes between r.i.p and final crisis i feel like part of it part of the you know it's kind of like when batman's back was broken like he was just so unhinged from all this r.i.p stuff happening immediately before it that's why he kind of rushed into the final crisis stuff um maybe less prepared or maybe you know, in a more vulnerable position than he had been or would have been otherwise yeah yeah i don't know if i like i like those issues but the idea that like 
it for me it didn't sit well that like Batman the Batman um Bruce Wayne like essentially is defeated and falls into the water mm-hmm. and then like immediately gets up and like runs to his bat jet gets in it and flies off to do this worldly crisis like that never sit well, kind of sat well with me right like, Batman would not be in a state to do that how did he take a nap of- he yeah. would know he needs to nap. Yeah, I know he's you know has to get some cold <clears throat> soup or something. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I I don't know. Like I kind of wish that he just like was missing for a while, and somehow there was a more bigger span of time between those two events. You know, um, it, the way that it's explained is like he swims out from the water potentially, and then like runs directly. Like oh god, oh there's some like god stuff I have to go take care of. Reborn. Oh, okay. Yeah, it felt kind of weird to me. Listen, can I just can I just say a quote I want to bounce off you guys from the, from Grant himself that oh, yeah. I I thought about and it kind of pertained to some quotes from Django I had in my mind, but oh. um, this is his pitch on the generations of Batman that went into going into this, and he says, uh, "I figured I'd start with the weird figure of the dark of his early years." through the smiling paternal figure of the 1940s and the proto-psychedelic crusader of the 50s, the superhero detective of the 60s, the hairy-chested globe-trotting adventurer of the 70s, to the brutally physical vigilante of the 80s and snarling paranoid soldier of the 90s. And I really liked that quote in terms of how it took a 10-year kind of chunk and dialed it in to a tone. And I particularly thought that was interesting because the first one he mentions is the sort of mysterious figure of the dark. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, those covers, those original covers, like the really famous one of his like silhouette behind the like vampire mountain path that's like you're walking up towards. Like, that, cover, so. that amazing cover. And just kind of the figure that he originally was, which was mm-hmm. this like shadowed figure of the dark that exists as a legend you know like criminals are just like well superstitious like i don't know that's got to be a thing but no friggin bat yeah yeah and tim burton really played into that well it's my favorite bat <clears throat> and i would just like does anybody else disagree with the sort of ways that he embodied any of those generations or would switch them around or particularly likes the way that he uh, exemplified each of those or are there any of those that don't make sense in your head canons I like that he was able to give us that psychedelic 60s nonsense or uh, the, the, the 40s nonsense, like the golden age ridiculousness, the Batman of Zuren and Batmite in a way that fits in the current canon. I thought that that was really well done. He, um, he said he was just looking through Batman issues and found that costume. Mm-hmm. And that was what kind of started the whole thing. Cause he, he was like, well, I've always just loved alternate versions of costumes. And I have to, like, I love reverse flash cause it's a yellow version of the flash, you know, like <laughs> proto man is the bad mega man, like just like slightly varied costumes. The, the crimson criminal syndicate, just bad version of the kid. So he was talking about, like, I just saw this costume. I was like, how could that ever fit? And he's like, and then he kind of took that internally as a challenge. Like, how can I make that fit? And that's what sort of spawned this whole thing. But what I, the quote he just said about the decades of Batman, I, I, I wrote, I, I, what I wrote down is, is just sort of the interesting, like Jenga, you talk about even most recently in um, uh, the interview that we did yesterday, you were talking about in, in suggesting comics to people that you like a certain amount of restriction and that helps mm-hmm. you generate ideas. And I feel like, that's kind of what a large exploration of this Batman run was, which is like Grant digging into the history and digging into these, like how could that forties Batman fit with this eighties Batman and by imposing restriction upon himself, that's what sort of created this wealth of story ideas. And I'm just, Mm -hmm. I wonder what you guys feel about, or like Justin as someone who writes or Roman, someone who studied English, like what restriction plays to you? Or do you feel like that is a thing that helps or doesn't help? Or is present in this run? Or I, I don't know. I just, I'm curious, this, this idea of restriction and the role that it plays with creation. I think that the, like, when I look at some of my favorite comics, it's all about that restriction. Because you have an entire world of creative things that you can play with. And that's a little bit overwhelming and probably hard to focus. So if you're like, okay well, I can't use this and I'm not going to do that. And I'm going to tell a great Batman story without the Joker. 
and um, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to do this within this very specific framework. It makes you exercise new muscles to get around these rules that you've imposed. Um, and I, I always appreciate it. And I, I feel like many of my favorite stories, even if they're like huge, like gigantic ideas, the more restrictions that it seems like have been put on them, the better it is. Hmm. Even if it's even down to like, like some of my favorite albums are records that musicians have gone to the studio with a day and a half and they crank out the best thing in their career. You know, I agree. I think that that's where like creativity is conserved. Like you don't just have it. You have to be forced to do it. Like creativity comes out of a, a need, not a desire. You can't want to be creative. You're forced to be creative in the face of restrictions. Um, to quote Dragon Ball Z, it comes from <laughs> not a desire. Um, just give me a rock hard Woody uh, Justin. <laughs> um, and so, like, for me, I think that the Grant Morrison is a sandbox of ideas, and to force him to work within continuity really helped the whole run. And I think the biggest part of the genius of this run is he kind of, what's that thing in Doctor Who that's the time travel piece? What's that called? The TARDIS. The TARDIS. The TARDIS yes. Like, he did that for Batman. Like, he made something bigger on the inside than it is on the outside. Mm. With the invention of the um, space experiment or the isolation experiment, like, allowed mm-hmm. all of this stuff that doesn't fit to fit inside. And that, also to have a, a continuity. And that restriction is what made this run kind of bigger than it had any right to be. Yeah, Justin, I just want to say I love the way that you worded and expressed that idea. I, I totally agree. That that really is like he created a couple elements that are exactly they're the hole in thing or our black hole, like where he found a way to fit the psychedelic forties and the globe trotting shirt of the seventies into the gritty, you know, two two thousands. Roman? I really like both uh, everything y'all said so far, because it, it when I'm thinking about restrictions and trying to like Oh, make everything work. Like uh, Hawkman, for example. It'd be great if somebody, Morrison or somebody that's as good as Morrison could, could come along and say, okay, everything in Hawkman, Hawkwoman's convoluted history, it all happened. Here how, here's how it happened. Because I've been trying to do that for decades with Hawkman and nobody is <laughs> successful a, with it. <laughs> a retold origin story. Yeah, yeah. And, and you would think somebody would be able to, because of the reincarnation element, you'd think somebody would be able to make it all work in some way instead of having to go okay well tim truman's Hawkman, that was a different character and and the golden age stuff was we're not going to count like three years of that and <laughs> i i think it's interesting when i look at like my two favorite writers and i what I, I also wanted to just like in the middle of this say grant morrison we can't include it off the top of your head everyone who is your favorite writer if you can't include grant morrison Warren Ellis, comic book writers, um, yeah. Alan Alan Moore. Yeah, uh, man, it's like no surprise here. It's a like toss up for Alan Moore and Jonathan Hickman for me. Like Jonathan mm-hmm. Hickman is the person in comics writing comics that I enjoy the most. Since Grant Morrison is largely like not on the on the scene, and Alan Moore is retired, so and I always have a distinct lineage of those people in my head. So I'd probably say at this moment, Jonathan Hickman. It, and if you weren't like bound by who's currently making comics, is Hickman above more for you? Um, gosh, ask me on a different day. You know, yeah. <laughs> like, uh, Alan Moore is huge, um, huge for me. Probably Alan Moore over Hickman, just because he has a bigger body of work that I've experienced and enjoyed throughout time. But all right, Hickman is so high up there for me it's it's at that point you're just staring at the stars and you're getting star blind (laughs) (laughs) um and then yeah not much of a surprise because justin and i are very similar uh definitely jonathan hickman for me is my other one those like i don't think it's terribly surprising for me that like i think my favorite morrison and hickman stories are ones even though they have a healthy body of work outside of the main marvel and dc universe i think that my favorite works from both of them are when they have been restricted and constrained by marvel or dc continuity Grant Morrison and Frank Wiley did Flex Mentala, which is maybe my favorite work. But even that one is bound and restrained by this idea that he had of trying to have four issues each depict a different decade of comic continuity and history. I mean, even there, he's trying to sort of restrict himself. 
and yeah, I'm just sort of surprised that imagination unfettered can be amazing. But, you know, it, I, there's just this weird role that, like, I think, like, the purple and yellow costume that he saw, like, at some point it can appear as a challenge to a creator, and it causes them to create some of their best stuff. And I think that that's a, a cool thing that happens in humanity and creation and creativity. And, yeah, I just, I, I, I liked tossing that out there. I don't think that all creators have the ability to do Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band given those resources, which is to say like the Beatles could do anything they wanted at that point. And they put everything, every idea went into that album. And it's, it could have come out like an overproduced disaster. And instead it came out like one of the best records, I think. And I think some people go into uh, a situation with all of the all of the ability to do anything they want and kind of freeze up or or overdo it or underdo it and so that's 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 what grant morrison had like here have batman you can do whatever you want and he he has to say well okay let's let's put some constraints on this you know he's a bondage fan is my point (laughs) (laughs) if you step into just like the unlimited creativity of the universe there's no way you can like anything can be anything at that point you need those restrictions to ground yourself and i personally feel like grant morrison alan moore jonathan hickman those those writers for me my favorite and they have great independent independent works but my favorite stuff and this is a bias just probably because my childhood but like their superhero stuff can often be better than their independent stuff and i think that there's a strength in that because when you write superhero comics these characters are archetypes. They have been crafted and refined through a lineage of people, writers refining that character and distilling that, that like metaphor of that character down to its fundamental basis over time. And so you don't get that with an independent project that blossoms and mm-hmm. dies. Mm-hmm. You have a lineage, you have a tradition that you step into. And that's what I really, really love about superheroes if done well they can kind of say more than any story can because you have a lineage of continuity that you're working within and you have those kind of restraints that you're getting a baton passed to you. Right. And you have to do something with it. And I, there's an archetypal like cultural significance that they have because they've persisted through culture for so long. It's like, okay, Superman means something to us in a different way than it did, but yet it's still Superman and Batman. So you know, in this, we're finding out, like, what is the idea, the core idea of Batman? And it, it is essentially, you know, the human spirit to prepare and the human spirit to perceive things kind of through time, his ability to plan and make preparations and, you know, kind of the strength of the human mind and spirit. And that's like, Batman is a lot of things, but at its core, is it's his willpower that is his mm-hmm. greatest strength. And we see that time and time again in this run and that Batman as a symbol is more important than Batman as a man. Yeah, um, it's, it's interesting how much that idea kind of becomes the pervasive through line. We can talk about the, the through lines of the first 25 issues, but when we step back and try to look at the 75 issue arc, you know, what, are the, what is the real thrust of it? I think that that is a really, really big one. I found a, a quote that he talked about. I'm curious everyone's feelings on this. In constructing this Batman run, it seemed to me that there would be part of a Bruce Wayne that resented his parents for leaving him and especially resented his father for not being Batman the night that he was killed. So the principal villain uh, villains in this run were archetypal bad father figures in the form of Dr. Hurt and a dark mother in the form of Talia, our, our villain um, for portions of the arc and coming like who, who kind of comes from to the, to the forefront at the end. What do you guys think about that? I... You know, it's. I love it. Do you feel like there is a part of Batman's psyche that would resent, on a level, his parent, like his parents, for not being the things that they should sure. have been? Yeah, yeah. Batman's yeah. a kid um, at the end of it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, anybody that's gone through such a massive trauma like that, there's gonna. I think there's. It's very realistic that there's a part of them that, especially when it happens when you're a little kid, there's a part of them that's like, okay dad why weren't you there to protect me to save me somehow even though intellectually you understand why not and what happened there's that part that's like the little kid part that that that's like 
where'd you go? What the hell, man? You're supposed to protect me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, Bruce is, Bruce has always been kind of a little kid. Like right. he's, he's stubborn, like a six year old. You know? a child with the IQ of 210. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> brilliant person, but he's still frozen in that moment. You know, what would they do? They would use all their resources to enact this hyper fantasy that doesn't make sense in the real world, but he's, he's stuck there because of his trauma. And so to me, I love the kind of Freudian Jungian thing that like your parents It is are, very that, yeah. Yeah, your parents yeah. are gods, you know, and depending on your primary relationship, your attachment to them as a child is based on how you see them. They're either the God of the New Testament, the kind always, lo- or yeah, the kind yeah, yeah. always loving, nurturing God that gave you the what you needed and you have a secure attachment or, or they got, got or cold old Testament buddy. Who's going <laughs> to yeah. wipe the planet out anytime he feels like it. Right. I, in, in reading that quote, I was, you know, I, I think that I suffer from at times having a hard time shuffling off the whole um, character encased in Amber situation. And it, 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 the way that that affected me there is that like Batman's perception of his parents is always deep grief and sadness that they're gone and trying to make up, for their death and justify their death by you know fighting crime and in doing so i sort of looked at it one dimensionally from the perspective of he always holds them on a pedestal i think that speaks to just sort of like how different people deal with loss at different time or guilt or something important to you is gone you hold them on a pedestal but no like especially because you're saying he's like a six-year-old like he's got to and he's dealt with this his whole life you know, there is poorly life is more complex than just like, Oh, I missed that person. And I wish that they were still around. Like we, we do these crazy things. Like we twist and resent the memory of good people. I just like, damn grant. Damn buddy. More powerful than the imagination of a child. So, you know, at once they can be these pedestal superhuman beings that in the past can only be these perfect beings, but in the real world, there's something called Leviathan and Dr. Hurt. Yeah. Like they're these two <laughs> evil controlling things that ultimately let him like Bruce is broken because his parents didn't stand up for him, you know. So there would be both idealization and devaluation. Um, Jango, yeah, and, oh sorry, Roman, please. Oh, sorry. I I because it just popped in my head. The fact that uh Bruce creates the Zuran R backup personality and everything and he and he bases it That's what know, I was subconsciously say. in the in the last and in, in, in the stories, it's not the last thing, but that his dad says, and he misunderstands his, you know, Zorro and Arkham, because the last thing his dad actually technically says is something about, you know, stepping in front of his wife and his child and protecting them and saying something to Joe Chill about, you know, right. leave us alone. But I think it's it's so significant that Morrison picked the misunderstood Zorro and Arkham to be bruce's method of protecting himself in the way that you know that resentful part child feels like well my dad couldn't do this right. i'm doing this using my dad's words Django, did you pick that up on the final issue of that final page just final... this second when Roman <laughs> i can see it. the glow so I, like that's the thing that. that cody walker put in the book that we realized yesterday and talking about this final issue is that the words Zuran are are a child's misremembering you're misremembering this conversation about Zorro in Arkham, but then also the metaphor of Zuran R is Batman with no reason, like right. with no so it is like Zorro, the basis for Batman in Arkham Asylum. Like uh, Grant, like that is such like that's the yeah. kind of shit that like, you know, that's why I love this run. And that is the kind of thing that sort of pisses me off because there's no like that's that's an unfair thing for me to have to go read a (laughs) prose book to understand an important concept like that in this series like i'm glad i know it i disagree but so wholeheartedly but not being able to get the story without making like that's a crazy leap and there's no way to really there's, I, I puzzled over that last page for quite a while, trying to figure out like why is he saying what? And I mean, I was con- totally confused by that last. Like, why is Bruce confused? But so then, like, that, let's that talk. That was about, me too because when me too. Bruce, little Bruce says what? Yeah, I remember reading that. I think, and even this latest time reading that, and think and thinking, what does? 
I'm Bruce's six or whatever. He probably doesn't know what Arkham is. That's what he's saying what about because he doesn't know that word. And I created a different no. reason for it. So, like, does that lessen a piece of art for you guys? Django says it does piss him off. For me, that's why I read comics slowly, you know, every week when we're talking on the regular podcast about the time it takes us. Like, I kind of you know, perceive that at any given moment in any panel of dialogue, that type of thing is happening. Like you can choose to view it one way, but you can Mm -hmm. also choose to look at it a different way. I love that about art. I love that about instrumental albums that are like, you know, different music that at first hits you one way. Aphex Twin, love him. Takes me probably 20 times through a single song to finally feel like, oh, I think I'll be walking around the bank and I'll be like, oh, those chords are present throughout the entire thing. That makes it... I think that those moments when art causes a light bulb to come on, whether you did the work or not did the work or it incubated, you know, like Cody Walker came across that conclusion. I've never seen Grant Morrison say that. Um, I love that. I guess for me, that's, that's an important thing that is completely buried. And I like it when there are extra things that you can choose out of it. It doesn't say it right there or one of us would have figured it out. Right, but the meaning is there. Like, you don't need an English degree to come up with that. At some point, like, there's Zorro and Arkham, and then the, a panel of him saying what, and then those words. Like, I think, what's the incentive of rereading it if you can't mine it for more and find exactly? And so I feel like, Django, if we put you in a room and you read this three times in a row, it's inevitable that you would come up with something like that. You know. Yeah, I guess I guess for me I want the I want the main important things to be apparent even if even if they're obfuscated at first, I want it to be something that I can grok on a first read and okay. I really I like the idea of finding extra goodies throughout. Right. And I feel um, like this is an extra goodie. Me too. Like, because yeah. Zer and R is like it can stop at being like, oh, it's just a random one-off word from an old Batman comic. And within that, it makes sense. But the fact that there's an extra layer of like uh, meaning or saliency to it, for me, is just like, oh, well, I'm glad that I reread this because I would have never... I mean, I didn't put it together. Cody Walker did. But like, if that wasn't given to me now, I'm like, well, thank goodness. Yeah. And it doesn't lessen the story without it. That's how I... Yeah, that's how I feel too because... Yeah, I never, I never got it. I, I hadn't got that far in the Cody Walker book either, so I didn't know it until Jeff said it. Um, and it's an, and to me, it's an extra because yeah, you get the all the salient big points of this Batman story that you know he's the old pre- preparer and he's and he is broken and metaphorically dies and resurrected and all that. And this extra, I think yesterday for the rest of the day. My thoughts kept going back to it and and it was exciting and this this whole new thing from this story that I thought I knew is like wow this is so amazing. And you um, don't get to have that in my mind if it's immediately apparent on the first run or the second run. Like you know, read through yeah. it. Like and and that's that's what I think oftentimes is the beauty of comic books is that and, and even Cody Walker, like that's his interpretation of it. We don't know that that's right or even there. It feels yeah, true to us. Yeah, for all we know, Morrison like saw that in Cody Walker's book. He's like, "Oh shit, yeah, that's cool. That's a good <laughs> thing." And you know, like that's that's to me why art is magical, and also why it can mean a different thing to every different person. Is because if, yeah. if things are beneath the surface, then you you do kind of make it your own. And doing that there's a lot of downsides to that as well though you know it's it's not it's, it's not that that's how art should be it's one of the big barriers to me just accepting grant morrison as as my favorite writer you know I like have. it's it's too much work to get everything out of it yeah i don't mind rereading this and being like oh there's some black and red oh there's some other black and red this means something and making those kinds of connections mm-hmm. but to find the true origin of zur nr in alternate reading material is irksome to me yeah uh and and it, it it's what keeps me from just reading everything grant morrison does and trusting him because well, i don't have- i don't want to put in that much work <laughs> i have an idea Django to help you out with that is like if you let 
Jeff, Roman, and I strap you to a chair and we can get inside your mind. Just sit for 10 days. Just sit down for 10 days is all I'm saying. You know, with your buddies. We'll help you out. I'm not saying it couldn't happen. I appreciate <laughs> I appreciate Grant Morrison a lot more now than I did when I first met Jeff. And I would say that it's a metaphorical version of uh, the the Togal ritual that Jeff has put me through in the last. Seven <laughs> well, let's years. let's put Justin in there as well because yeah, 100%. yeah. I think that it just speaks to everyone has a different relationship with art and what they are seeking to get out of art and. You know, I think that on times on our regular podcast, you'll say that like, I just read comics quick and Jeff reads them slower. And and I think it's a, it's a way more nuanced discussion than that. Cause I'm mm-hmm. looking to hopefully have an interaction that one out of a hundred times I get to have, which is I create a, a strange thing out of something that isn't immediately there. And it becomes like deeply my own, you know, it, it speaks to like what people are trying to get out of art and there's no right or wrong answer about mm-hmm. what people are trying to get out of a thing. Guys, I have a different a quote that kind of relates to even just this a little bit, but specifically Dr. Hurt and kind of a thing that we've been working through for the last week and a half here. Um, Regarding Dr. Hurt, I think the readers have kind of done that themselves in terms of speaking, creating a conversation about what he is because there's not a definitive answer. I tried to obviously direct people into the gaps and the spaces and the whole thing with Dr. Hurt was that he was, quote, the whole in things. That's how he described himself. We see him in the form of the missing painting and as this gap in the story. Like you say, it isn't really a mystery because we we kind of knew who the guy was ever since the Black Glove. We knew Dr. Hurt was the Black Glove, but who is Dr. Hurt? Is he the devil? Is he Bruce's father? Is he some other person? I wanted to do that so people would engage with it and talk about it. And they really did. Everyone came up with their own ideas. And I love that about that particular character. He is that kind of empty space in the story that people can plug their own imagination into. I really like that because even going through this and talking about it, I think there were times where like Justin and I were both sort of falling on like different idea of what it seems like he is. The idea that it was designed to be that. It's like an open buffet for all of us to create our own, you know, plate with and what Dr. Hurt is like defined storytelling and what is the role of defined storytelling? And is it a strength or is it a weakness when you do or don't have that? Right. And we constellate our interpretations based on the available information that we have, you know, so like you don't notice all the, you know, Pontiac Sunfires on the road until you drive a Pontiac Sunfire, (laughs) you know, like you, you just like based on the information you have available, and through this read-through, my interpretation of him as the whole in things and kind of being analogous to the devil, he's just the evil that you let in when you sacrifice a part of yourself. That's yeah, the demonic part of yourself. Yeah. yeah. In that way, Dr. Hurt is dark side. And that's yeah. the thing that kills Batman. He is the thing at the end of the universe that's also inside of you all the time. The pain that is always there, that abstract pain that can show up in a person's body. The anti-life uh, equation that can be pulled correct. out at any given time. Right. That is your dad who was actually a bad guy when you thought he was a good guy. But mm-hmm. he's also the devil. And he's also this abstract cosmic evil thing. And for me, I was like, oh, it makes sense that Darkseid killed him this time. Batman, his physical body, sent him through time. Because when you are like facing the ultimate abyss that looks inside you, it could be both of those things. It's the human Dr. Hurt in that body. But it's also this like, crazy cosmic thing that like why do you're asking a theological question why do things go wrong you know why do things in the world go wrong and so i love that like when you read this more and more you realize like dr hurt is both and yet not he's just he's just the yeah the darkness in all of us and especially like you had something there i i did um it's partially gone now because when he when Justin Sorry. He said, said it. He completed the idea. It was a great idea. Yeah, Justin, yeah. And, when, yeah. and when Justin said the uh, the 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 dark part or whatever, so my brain went to the dark side, um, <laughs> and, and then that threw off my entire train of thought. Puns <laughs> are the death of but, us all. Yes, yes. <laughs> but yeah, the dark father aspect. God, I love I love that about Doctor Hurt. It's so blasphemous for the Batman mythos. It makes me feel so dirty in a lot yeah. of like. Yeah, it's yeah but, I don't want to believe it. Yeah, and what you said about the 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 dark father and dark side because dark side is well, he's not a sky father; he's an underworld like Plutonian figure. Right, and, but also the opposite of high father, which kind of is yeah. you know what you're saying. So yeah, and linking the two of those, um, hmm, 
Brilliant, Justin. Thank you. That segues perfectly into a final quote I have, which is just sort of a tease of what is to come. Um, I found an interview with him where he sort of was talking about uh, the near the end. Well, okay. By the time this story ends, we've dealt with the furthest out sci-fi Batman I can think of, which is in The Return, number six, Return of Bruce Wayne, number six. It's almost Batman meets Jack Kirby. We're wrapping up the supernatural and horror elements, and the new Batman Incorporated stuff is different totally from that. And I like this idea of this first third was a tonal thing. The second thing we're going into is, you know, it climaxes in just that, this sort of bizarre... I didn't, I wasn't as well versed in Jack Kirby the first time I read all of that stuff. So the second big phase we're about to enter, it really, as soon as I read that, I was like, oh, that feels really true. There's a very fourth world, not just because of the presence of Darkseid, but also what sort of happens at the end of time and at the climax of Return of Bruce Wayne. Like all of that is very Jack Kirby fourth world, which was happening. He did this 10 years ago. That is even. I feel like in the last like five or six years, there's been sort of a resurgence of the celebration of Jack Kirby. Does that feel mm-hmm. fair? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah. And so he was doing it a little bit before that, which I thought, you know, like mainstream DC readers 10 years ago weren't necessarily as well-versed in the idea of the fourth world um, as they should have been because it's an important part of DC stuff. It, it, would you think it would be fair to say that this first third of this story has been, um, like you said, a tonal thing? the next big chunk feels like a genre thing to me, even with the Batman and Robin issues. And I, I, it's been a while since I read them. I'm looking forward to that, but I think that it's a much more sci-fi version of Batman stories, right? Like his car is more sci-fi. Like Um, sci-fi psychedelic pop is sort of how I would think about it. I, I probably have a shortcoming of like, I probably, group tone and genre into like the same thing mm-hmm. but i do think that there was a concerted tone of the first third right and i do think that there is a cohesive attempt to change the tone of the second part and then the end of that quote he's sort of saying and batman incorporated is an entirely different thing right. i do think that there is like a sort of now i'm going to tell this type of batman story uh, new constraints each time yeah yeah i feel like you know, this is to mushrooms. Uh, it, like it's it's old. It's like dealing, judging up all the old stuff, and then like uh, <laughs> Batman and Robin is like LSD. It's like high tech. It's new. It's shiny. It's very like poppy. You know, and if you think about Batman and Robin, the city looks new. The villains are new. The tech is new. Batman and Robin is new. You know, everything has this kind of glowy sci-fi almost borderline cyberpunk aspect to it it like yeah. i said it feels like the 80s on lsd like it's even this is the, the new villains. batman yeah for sure yeah you know um, professor pig and the flamingo was on lsd <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah the flamingo god i can't fucking wait for that stuff <laughs> how am i gonna make each of those episodes not just explicitly about the cover that was drawn by frank quietly <laughs> god they're all so good uh because you're, you're gonna not because chris burnham is doing the guts uh, in Batman Incorporated. Yeah. That's the third part. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Jesus. Who's doing the inside of Batman and Robin? Quietly does the first three. Cameron okay. Stewart, unfortunately. Fraser Irving. That's what I had. Some, yeah, Fraser Irving. Um, and that, that was what taught me that, like, wait, art changes, and then it changes my feel <laughs> of the story. This is a bummer. Like, I still <laughs> like this stuff, but this isn't that cool art, you know, that I loved even before I really knew who Frank Quietly was. You know how, like, we're living in the era where we can kind of, like, in a really low-resolution way, have whatever we want. Like, man, mm-hmm. I always wanted a Moon Knight show, and now there's a Moon Knight show. And, like, man, I always want this, and now there's that. Like, I really want there to be the Clown at Midnight issue redrawn mm-hmm. as a comic with, like, mm-hmm. Burnham or Quitely's art. Like, I, I just, if the world would just kind of, like, poop that out for me, then I, then... Just give know, me that. 64 pages of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because yeah. it's such a good issue, and it's so inhibited... Um, you know, you guys said this on the podcast. It's my feelings. Uh, my good buddy, Josh just texted me that he had reread that. So he, he read the whole run to catch up with us cause he likes the podcast. Um, and he skipped that issue to get ahead. And then now he had time to catch up and read it. And he's like, man, I had no idea how good this issue was. Cause I, avoided None of us it. did. <laughs> yeah, we all um, did. It's like one of the best Joker stories ever, but it's yeah. just like the prose is crazy. But it's the awesome, art but it's crazy, is but- I don't remember what we said about the art on the podcast, but we did, I got a message from one of the listeners and they had said that like, I, this art is abysmal and 
uh, maybe they hadn't listened to the episode yet or something. They were working their way through it. But yeah, um, I don't remember if we came down on that art as hard as I feel you like we should have. I listened to it. Um, you guys like criticized it, but you were forgiving of it. Like I there are bits of it that are awful. Yeah, yeah. And Django, you mentioned that, but I like used to shit on that art constantly. Like I was like, I'll never read that issue. <laughs> I just don't know why it exists. I don't know why that was the art that was chosen, right? Constraints, yeah. man. I guess. Like, yeah, sometimes that is a big one. We're gonna we're <laughs> gonna do a we're gonna do a digital digital art for this organic story, and we're not gonna make it a comic. We're gonna put out a comic that's not a comic, you know? Yeah. And lose all our readership that we've been fighting so hard <laughs> to continue to have. Yeah. Man, bat ninjas weren't enough. Let's... Well, listen, if you don't read my stories close enough, you're you're just you're not gonna understand it. I just think that those are the, my favorite people, like my favorite artists, whether it's Aphex Twin or, you know, whether it's Tool or Grant Morrison or Jonathan Hickman, like, I don't want to get it on the first run through. I guess that issue puts up barriers. Oh, yeah. And it's I mean, a similar barrier to the the ones that I have with, mm -hmm. with parts of his storytelling. And we all skipped that issue the first time. Yeah, it's a lot of, <laughs> lot of, lot of CGI. Roman, you look like you tracked something down. Oh, I, I was just looking at, um, I forget what the issue is, six, 681 maybe, um, part of the last rights issues and how, and I love the fact that Morrison brought Kirby, Kirby to Batman by putting in the lump and Simeon and Makari because for some reason Kirby never did Batman. We that I can think of. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, we we will cover that because we're going to talk yeah. about those last rights issues. Oh, okay. This is kind of like getting Kirby doing Batman. It's the closest thing that we get to yeah. Jack Kirby's Batman run. And gosh, what a great like to have Kirby draw Batman with his like blue <laughs> costume and like his big that would be so great. I can't even picture a Jack Kirby drawn Batman image. He had to have drawn him sometime. Yeah, he, he must have, but yeah, I can't picture any. Gosh. <laughs> Just a thing I wanted to say. I mean, other like, than in like superpowers. <laughs> Jeff, you and I, and Roman is just, is comics, so he, he doesn't have a school of comic books, he's just comics. Where <laughs> you and I, like, we got re-back into comic books from Grant Morrison. Right. So you and I are, like, very patient with, like, oh, it could mean this, and I want to read it a thousand times and get a new meeting each time. Django grew up in a time where, like, that kind of storytelling wasn't really around and would have been, you know, strange. And so I always see, like, there's often these debates between, like, Jeff and Justin and Django's interpretation of comics and how we like to read. And I just realized like you and I are just so biased because Grant Morrison is our comic book daddy. Like he yeah, was the yeah. guy that got me into adult comic book storytelling. And I'll never not have that kind of lens of like, well, what does this mean? Do I need right. to read this twice? I'm going to go a little bit slower with this. And I was recently talking to Roman about that. Also just sort of in regards to like Brian Bendis, like Roman, just like Bendis's dialogue is not really ever going to fall into what comics sound like because i think it was written by somebody writing for a generation of people who were raised on watching the television that i was raised on mm -hmm. like it's just replete with things like friends and you know south park and all these like colloquialisms and things and it sounds like television dialogue whereas comics were written in a certain way for so long you know and i'm a big bendis fan and, and roman is not in love with all of bendis's stuff and but again i just am reminded of the fact that like we're all we're all products of a different generation and also products of a different type of art and medium and that's what it is like there isn't a right or wrong way to interpret things it is it is all going to be the byproduct of you know what sort of formed us and i think that that's kind of rad especially to be able to then talk about it with people and sort of solve the riddles um mm -hmm. well we're all getting different things out of this run exactly and, and out it needs all of them yeah. to get it because it's it's way bigger than any of us <laughs> except for cody walker he gets <laughs> what's he doing nowadays we should get oh him <laughs> man who cares he's definitely not teaching that's all online these days <laughs> he's a barista somewhere <laughs> yeah cody walker make me a double tall um anybody else got anything before we get on out of here i i got nothing i'm excited for the bold new crazy psychedelic pop drama of batman and robin i'm so excited for it Django, what was your favorite moment in this run so oh, far yeah. oh geez um, gosh i don't even 
Everybody think about it for a second, and I'll repeat mine that I had said yesterday. But my favorite moment of the run is when Batman breaks out of the coffin in that sort of amazing journally written monologue about, you know, how he's able to plan everything out and overcome every shortcoming. Because I think that that told more about Batman and also elevated him to a person with superpowers in like a two or three page span in a way that most runs fall short of doing. And was it James Tinian the fourth who basically did that same thing recently in batman what what, what was that in that was scott snyder in the black mirror which i also mentioned afterwards oh yeah because you and i both read that last week yeah um i've read too many batman lately a lot of batman (laughs) i i would say my favorite moment was was probably learning about the way that the joker's mind is is regenerating in 663 Mm -hmm. um you know just the that concept and that rationale for the Joker's, um, it's not even multiple personalities. It's like changing personalities. Um, I really, I really like that. He talks about, Grant yeah. talks a lot about that aspect being inspired by David Bowie. How like mm-hmm. Batman and Joker are both optimum men of the times, but they evolve with the times and kind of create a new persona or character to deliver their message through to the people that reflects what is, you know, the most salient way for the message to be conveyed at the time. <sighs> Pretty cool. It's like David Bowie is the Joker and Tom Waits is Batman. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> well, <laughs> I would I would flip cool. that maybe, but I guess Let's I don't know Tom Waits Let's as well. <laughs> oh, I want that story. Is that your favorite moment, Roman? Is Django saying that about this run? It, yeah, now it is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the Batman! Oh, <laughs> oh, man, it's... I can't, I can't narrow it down yet. I mean, one of my favorite moments is in the junkyard in the rain when that page four panels uh, when Batman pulls on the purple cow. And yeah. I'm the Batman, but it's in that w- weird blue word balloon. And Batman's above him going, uh oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, that's but a great I moment. Sequ- I love the sequence and after the Thorgal ritual when he's talking to the monk. It's so shadow like to me. Mm-hmm. Maybe my favorite moment is the nine panel grid page um with the Joker uh talking to Dr. Hurt and then he disappears right yeah. before Batman appears. Though actually now one of my favorite moments is the revelation that Cody Walker's revelation about Zorro and Arkham. Oh my God, there's so many moments. <laughs> That's what we love about Roman. <laughs> Distilled comic enthusiasm. Yep. I, uh, my favorite moment is in when they're in uh, Nada Parbat and the sensei and Batman fall into the, <laughs> the fountain and you can't tell what happens. And During the resurrection the... of Ra's al Ghul. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then he screams Ra's as if he's been doubled crossed, but we got no information that that happened. <laughs> uh, that's my favorite. No, that is uh, certainly the high point. <laughs> I really love the, what like I got the most out of is the issue like Joe Chill and Hell, the, the three issue inter, interim yeah. between like where we really kind of flesh out the isolation experiment. That's like my, or Batman dies at dawn is an issue um, where we really see kind of isolation experiment having a ripple effect through Bruce's life. I thought that that ties the whole run and the future stuff together. I think it's like getting to realize having new eyes to read that again and seeing what it does and how it functions within the story kind of just redid this whole run for me. Um, And really solidifies it as to me my favorite um batman story and maybe favorite superhero story and then the moment where batman realizes that it's the black hand and the one batman lets him grab that glove and he holds that glove and that's like the symbol like uh, yeah everything is like his paranoia is collapsing in on himself that moment satan batman is running away and he gets his one glove yeah yeah (laughs) Oh my gosh. Well, hey, listen, thank you everybody for coming this far with us. Episode 24. Thank you, Django, Roman, and Justin for being here and talking to us about it. And uh, yeah, I, everyone can write it. If you have thoughts, if you had feelings, if you had experiences, things that you learned, weigh in on the debate of, you know, what, how hard should someone have to look in art to find meaning? Uh, what are, what I think everyone's going to fall on a different side of that. So record a message and email it to Batman in quarantine at gmail.com, or just write an email on your feelings about anything. Still excited to hear people's thoughts that read Batman RIP with no context of the overall run. 
because <laughs> what a time to be alive. Um, but yeah, thank you guys all for showing up. Our pleasure. Our, uh, our in pleasure. <laughs> I tried to find, I tried to find Grant Morrison saying what RIP meant and I couldn't find it somewhere. So yeah, I'm really curious what, uh, what I mean, to say about that. Rest in peace. He, he has, he rested for what? 14 days straight. <laughs> yeah. He, I, I just remember before working at the comic show, Chris Clow, who used to work there saying like, Grant said it doesn't stand for rest in peace. And now we're trying to figure out what it means. And I was like, okay, that's a cool mystery. I haven't yeah, ever found that. I've heard that too. I don't know from what source, but I've heard yeah. that. Hmm. I'm still stuck on the, the, the R's could be resurrection, but I don't know what the IP is. Well, if anyone knows, please get at us. <laughs> and uh, yeah, on behalf of, behalf of Django, Roman, and Justin, I am Jeff, and we are Batman in Quarantine. We'll see all of you very soon. Thanks for stopping by. Thank you.